0: And to worship God as we saw fit, we had that freedom. This in the then then again the wave came in, the wave went out, and then so things kind of waned. And then in the 1790s to the 1820s, they called this the Second Great Awakening. And what this there's another revival in the nation, and the nation had expanded by this time. And there were a lot of things like slavery that had really taken hold and taken grip. And when God cares about people, so when a revival comes, he not only looks out for the ones that are really pulling on him, but for those that there's great need. And and one of the results of the second great awakening was it led to reform of social injustices. And we all know eventually it, you know, this was in the 1790s, the 1820s, and in that period of time, it led up. It was a forerunner of the emancipation of the slaves. And lots of other social injustices were dealt with. But the, the govern we live in a nation, we are so blessed. And I don't understand why people don't get this. We are in a nation that allows, this is a a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It is not of the politicians, for the politicians, and by the politicians. But we have allowed it to be that. And that's why we are in trouble. But God's a God of mercy and grace, and the United States of America will be saved. Okay? So that was the Great Awakening. Then, in the early 1900s, in a little church in Topeka, Kansas people started calling out for God. They started wondering about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the book of Acts and they started calling out for God and they spent time just seeking God, seeking God, seeking God and a revival broke out in Topeka, Kansas. I, it, it, that interests me because my family was from Monroe for, for years and years and about the early 1900s, my grandpa bought a homestead in Kansas right down in that area. And they moved down there, and a lot of a lot of my family down there were involved. I think were involved in some of those things. And Mike's grandpa started having services in the, and he had a big house. He built big stone brick houses, and he started having services. Well, Fairbury's pretty close to that, that also. So just those things interest me. I like those things, but that's kind of a side note. But there was this great revival of the Holy Spirit that was birthed There started to take place in Topeka, Kansas in the early 1900s. And it led to people being filled with the Spirit, an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And that revival then led to the one, they call it the Azusa Street Revival in California. And that was a few years afterwards, and that broke out, and that was a real move of the spirit of God. And from there on. From that point on. It seems like in the United States. Things started to step up spiritually. The the Topeka Kansas. And the Azusa Street revivals. Led to birth of organizations. Like the Assembly of God. The Church of God. And major healing ministries. And so then. <clears throat> things waned again a little bit. We went through the great depression. And then in the 1940s, another wave came in. And if you understand and you've you've followed church history, this was the time of the great healing revivals. This is the time when... Men and women like Oral Roberts started with the tent, the huge tent ministries and and came out in miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. Kenneth Hagen, T.L. Osborne, Catherine Kuhlman all came out of those revival. They talk about the healing ministries and whole towns being changed. And that was in the 1940s. And then things kind of waned again. The wave came in, the wave went out. And then the 1960s came. It was a time of turmoil in our government in our land, in disillusionment of the youth and Then a wave came in, and we call it the charismatic revival and Some of you are so young you don 't even don 't even realize you 've experienced it but but um, with some of the things that started to happen in the 60s, the Billy Graham Crusades came into prominence. And it would be hard for us to understand now, but back then, Billy Graham would hold these huge, fill the stadiums, and people would come down to the altars. But not only did they, during the 60s, we started to tap into media publishing houses and and they started building schools like oral roberts university and and rhema and all these different ones but they started to tap into media like tv and billy graham started putting the t te- the rev- his revivals on tv you remember that And people, the whole town, I swear the whole town of Monroe, when Billy Graham would come on, Monroe would sit and everybody would watch. My dad's family, the Schmitz, they would sit and watch Billy Graham and cry. And and people's hearts were turned towards God. And that was just one avenue. There was the full gospel businessman. And there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 1960s and 70s within the Catholic Church. And then you had the hippies and we had the Jesus movement and all those things started to come about in the 60s and things just start to crack open. Well, in about 1972, there was a guy and some of you've heard me tell about this. I'll give a little more detail today. In 1972, a young minister got sent to the Methodist church in Silver Creek, Nebraska, just got out of school, just a newbie and he decided they were going to have some revival services because one of his classmates was an evangelist and he was going from town to town and church to church, wherever he could hook up meetings. And so he invited his buddy to Silver Creek, Nebraska. And I think they'd been having services with some success and a few people here and there getting born again and two or three would come to the altar and he'd pray with them. Well, they decided to have these meetings in Silver Creek, Nebraska. And and so they started inviting. I don't even know how we got there. But I think Silver Creek and Genoa worked together somewhat, those two Methodist churches. So they got Genoa involved. And I think they just invited the youth group or people from Monroe. Well, I grew up, my mom was a Christian, my dad wasn't. My mom went to church, my dad didn't. I, I tended to lean with my dad. I liked to go with him and, and make the rounds to Platt Center on Sunday mornings instead of going to church. I had no heart's desire to have anything involved with church or God. But I was always bored. Life To me, life was kind of boring in Monroe. You know, you're a kid. And I was always wanted to be where the action was. And there wasn't a lot going on. So they invited us to Silver Creek. So... Two of my friends got one of their parents, and we all went to Silver Creek one night. have no idea why I even wanted to go there. And they had this young girl from Genoa, Nebraska. Her dad was the postmaster. She had a pretty voice, and she could play the guitar. So they brought her, put her up on the stage, gave her a couple songs to sing. Like, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made me. How can a revival start out of this? (laughs) But they put her up there. I mean, she was like a calf at a new gate. She had no idea what was going on. She just sang, this is the day. The spirit of God came into that place. It had nothing to do with her. She was just the vessel. It was like an anointing came on. This is the day that the Lord has made. It doesn't really matter how you approach God as long as you approach him with an open heart. And so she's saying that, and, and I, can, I can just, God started doing something. And I didn't even understand. I was maybe 14, 13, 14 at the time. And the, the guy got up and he preached his little evangelistic message like he always did. I don't even remember, nothing spectacular. And he gave an altar call. And and as he gave the altar call, he had her get up, and she just played. And the altar absolutely filled. It just filled up. So many, how there were even that many people in Silver Creek, Nebraska, I don't know. The aisle, you couldn't even get in the aisle to get up. It was like, it was a sovereign move of God. It was... I'll never forget it in all my life. And I stood there, and I knew I needed to go up. And I had one friend on one side and one on the other. And finally, I couldn't hold it anymore. So I just took my friend, and I shoved her into the aisle so I could get out there. And she laughed years later. She says, I wanted to go, too. Didn't have the guts, but when you shoved me, I had no turning back. So she went with me, and the other friend on the other side she didn't want to get left there by herself, so she tagged along. So we all got saved that night, and my life totally changed. I wasn't even looking for it. I wasn't a bad person. I i don't even think I really had an, a hunger for God, but it was I did. It was buried so far down in there, but that anointing broke something open. And so we can't ever ever think oh nothing's happening nothing's happening People, these people aren't hungry for God I wasn't hungry for God but when God does a sovereign work I mean after that the youth group in Silver Creek just this is an interesting fact the girl that got up there that was playing the guitar that brought that that the anointing came in on her music I don't think she was even born again I don't think she was even saved because about halfway through the service, she laid the guitar down and came down on the altar herself. God can do amazing things, but we can't get locked in that he's got to do it a certain way. And it it was just amazing. It changed my life. It changed lots of people's lives. It is estimated that 50 million people came into the kingdom of God worldwide through the charismatic revival. But beyond that, it's influenced the church world for the last 40 years. It has resulted in, it, they estimate that about 2.5 billion Christians, or 33% of the world population, has come in as a result of the charismatic revival. One of the biggest I don't think we can even fathom what God did during that period of time. There are about 700 million people today who, who claim to be Pentecostal charismatic as a result of the charismatic revival, and that's one out of four Christians worldwide. So we sit here and we think we're the only ones, just, just us. Nobody gets us. We're just all alone. We're weird. We're, no, there's one out of four Christians worldwide. Claim to believe like we believe. Now, there are various streams that came out of the charismatic Revival. Always when things happen, good things happen, and then there's always a few things that get off. But in the long run, it kind of comes back full circle and matures. But out of this movement, we got things, the word of faith and the contemporary charismatic churches started to build up, and that's where we fit in. And that's kind of where we are. So right now, here we are through all that, and it's 2019. And like I said, this has been an exceptional, extraordinary year. And I realize we've talked about for our family, 2016 was a home run year. It's just like we could not lose for winning. Everything just went right. Everything was good. God just blessed us exceedingly abundantly. But 2017 and 2018 have been a little harder. Haven't been terrible, but just kind of plowing years. And then 2019, of course, we'll always remember as the year of the flood. So we've gone through this whole thing, and you've been here with us. You've been on the ride along. And, and about August, we were finishing up all these repairs, and I started to realize that, you know, you start to take a breather. We're getting done. We're getting close. And then I started to realize, man, we're just getting started. We got all these things done, but we're really just getting started. And I enjoyed you. Got, I enjoyed the whole process of the the cleanup. And and I really, I think if you were honest, most of you did too. One thing I've really come to realize and find out, this is a a church that flourishes on work. We are a work-minded, work-go-after-it-get-it-done kind of people. And you don't know how much we appreciate that. And I'm sure God appreciates that. But we're at a starting over point. Right now, and it, I, I got out the. Every year in January, Mike makes a list of goals for the year. I found mine. This was pretty amazing. Uh, he had 13 things. Number one, spiritual inheritance series taught. He did that. Four guest speakers. Well, we were going to have Greg Fritz the week of the flood, so that didn't work. We had Mike playing. We had Mike Keys. I guess you'll have to count Brad and I for the other two. <laughs> uh, number three, he wanted to start a senior ministry. And, and I'll be honest, the flood kind of threw a mix in the things. And he's tried. He, Mike has endeavored to reach out to seniors more this year. But that's something in the future. The helps ministry taught and promoted. Now, we've been working on that. Brad's been working on that. Number five, weekly corporate prayer. Done that. Number six was consider summer outreach for kids with special needs. Well, we considered it, but it didn't work out. Something we might think about in the future. Number seven, night to shine. Organized and delegated. Done. Moving on to 2020. And number eight was retire eight thousand dollars in debt when we remodeled over there a few years ago, we incurred some debt doing it, and we had planned on paying that off this year because we were going to use the money from the daycare and finish it up. Well, we have not paid the whole eight thousand off we 've made a good dent in it though so so that 'll come but those so those are the first eight things which at the time he did these, I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty easily attainable. We can do that. And then his 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, I wasn't so sure. You know, all of us, we come to a point, you, you know, you enter into a little doubt and unbelief. Number nine, new floor in the foyer. If you haven't been here long, everybody in this church hated that foyer floor. That was everybody's top priority. But how and when we were going to do it, I had no clue. God can do amazing things, can he? Number 10, smaller counter built in the foyer. We wanted to take that section out and completely redo it. Didn't know how we were going to do it. God did it. We wanted to paint the sanctuary. (laughs) did that cross that off the list we wanted to repair the tile in the fellowship hall exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think we just got rid of the tile and did it all over and the bathrooms and the kitchen and number 13 we wanted to clean and organize all the storage rooms (laughs) I just had to laugh when I read that because one of the biggest things of this whole remodel that's blessed me the most is we got those storage rooms cleaned out and reorganized. We got new tables. Those old tables were just shot. So so you think, well, God's doing all this and we've got these things to do and these things. I think we're right on target. And the nice thing is when you start over, you can take. we should have learned this, when you start all over, You can do it the way you want. You can get rid of those things that we messed up on, and you can start over fresh. So I think that's where we are as a church. Um, If you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Now, last week Mike told you about he went to that service in Omaha. Omaha. With the the prophets, the prophets were speaking. And if you would like that, to listen to that service, I would encourage you to do that. You can go on your computer, type in Lord of Hosts Church, Omaha, Nebraska. And then when you get to their website, up on the right corner, you click on One Voice. I looked and looked, and I couldn't find it. You have to go to One Voice. And on One Voice... Then there comes up, a th- you know, the rotating thing where you can go to one. And, and when you rotate in to the picture with three men, a screen with three men, that's the service. You can click on that and listen to that. And they have the music and, and all these things. If you don't want to listen to music, you can go to minute 27, I believe, and the message starts there. So it is a prophetic message. And the thing is, when I listened to it, it just settled in my heart. You know, prophets need to be subject to prophets. Prophets can get off just like people can get off. But the one thing when you you listen to a prophet, does it register in here? And basically, it registered in here with me. All the things they were saying were kind of things that I perceived But they put words to it. So that was interesting. And one of the things they talked about that we are entering, and I never stopped to think about it, we're entering into a new decade. In a little over a month, we are entering into a new decade and that this will be a decade of difference. And I've heard through the years many ministers talk about and this is why I talked about the waves of God the revivals of God the things that God did all each one of those were great in their own way each one of them brought revival each one of them brought new things each one of them made a difference but the 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 right revival to end all revivals would take all of those all of those things out of those revivals And bring it all together and take it over the top, above and beyond all anything that we can even imagine from them. And so I think, I believe that's the day we're entering into. And I've never been a gloom and doom person. God blesses his people. God said he will be exalted. God's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a victorious church, a strong church. And we need to get that into our heads. So we, that's where we are today. And like I said, I never—I was the kid that never wanted to miss out on anything. I always wanted to be where the action is, and I've still got that kid in me. Man, I want to be here. I want to be a part of what God's going to do in this next decade. I do not want to miss out. And the thing we need to realize, if you're here and you're still breathing, you are a chosen generation. God has called us for this time. Look at Mark chapter six. I'm going to give you an overview. We're going to go through the whole chapter, Mark chapter six, because like I said, it can be overwhelming. Oh my God, what's God going to do? Well, let's look at Mark chapter six. I'll give you an overview of the first part. Well, I'll read the first six verses. Then he went out speaking of Jesus from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And by what wisdom is the wisdom is this which was given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were all offended by him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own disciples. And now that he he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The greatest move of God in all mankind was right at their doorstep. And they couldn't change their thinking enough to get on board with what he was doing. But that didn't stop him. He called the 12 and 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 then he sent them out in 7 through 13, he sent out the disciples and basically to prove to them that they could do it and sent them out and got them working and do the work of the ministry. And they came back and they said in verse uh, 12, and so they went out and preached that the people should repent and they cast out demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed. And they came back and they were all excited. But at the same time, as you look through verses 14, through 29, that's when they, John the Baptist was beheaded. Now, that was the forerunner of Jesus. That was Jesus' cousin. And you can imagine what he felt as a human, as a, uh, as a man on the earth, and his disciples when that happened. And this is what he did. Starting in verse 30, then the disciples gathered to Jesus and told him all these things, the good things that had happened, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. We need to understand that you have to rest sometimes. God gets the point that we have to rest sometimes. We have to refresh yourself sometime. I was tired by the end of August. Not that I had to do all the work, but then, then I just got in this mode where I had to be busy, and I had to be busy, and I just got tired. And so sometimes you have to step back and refresh yourself. God gets that, okay? So he told that to the disciples. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat themselves. Now, last week I know Nate talked about how God spoke to him about people being tired. My gosh, if anybody's tired, it's the people of Fairbury. That town needs a revival. So every time you go through Fairbury, Nebraska, speak mercy, grace, and goodness. Because the welfare and the drug system has brought in all these people that are in desperate need in that town, and that town needs a revival. Not that we all don't, but that town really does. And our heart is for that town because that's where Mike grew up. Anyway, he talked about being tired. Now, I don't know about you, but we noticed when Caleb was young, about late in the afternoon, he just got unbearable to be around. He was grumpy. He was touchy. He was just a pain, about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and we came to realize he was hungry. His blood sugar must, about that time of day, would just drop, and he would just, so we just feed him. Well, Brad can attest to this. Micah is hungry all the time. He's 22, and he is hungry all the time. He eats four eggs, steak, and oatmeal for breakfast. By 10 o'clock, he's got to have a break to rejuvenate himself. And after that, he comes home and eats a huge lunch or takes a huge lunch with him. Then he has to eat a snack in the afternoon. And then he is starving. And we, he comes home sometimes, he's grumpy. He's starving. And if we eat supper too early, he's mad because then he has to eat again before he goes to the gym because he's hungry. And then as soon as he comes home from the gym, of course, he's hungry. (laughs) And if you think Micah's not that big a guy, I can imagine what Gunner's like. Gunner's what, 50, 75 pounds bigger than Micah? He's eating all the time, I can guarantee you. And sometimes I think we think when we're tired, we just need to sleep. And there, there is a time. You have to rest. You have to sleep. You've got to refresh yourself. But sometimes when you're tired, it's because you need to be fed. You need to take time to feed yourself. And I'm not talking steak and eggs. When you're tired spiritually, you need to get in the Word a little more. And you need to get fed. Feed yourself. Feed yourself. Okay, that's a side note, but Jesus, they they didn't even have time to eat and they were tired. So they departed to the desert. They tried to get away and do that and they took the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing and many knew and ran there on foot from all the cities and they arrived there before them and came together to him. They were hungry spiritually. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for him, for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that we may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And Jesus said to them, You give them something. When revival comes, when God starts to move, we got to start thinking differently. And it's difficult because we don't know what God's going to do. But you got to prepare yourselves. And, And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? They were thinking, they were trying. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they went and found out, there were five loaves and two fishes. And then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Now this is probably, nobody pays much attention to this scripture, but this is important. He commanded them to make all the multitudes sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. Here is where we are today as a church. Jesus taught them to organize for the miracle. We've got to get organized for the miracle. We are in a state of preparation right now. God is in a state of preparing us. If you're going to expect God to move, you've got to prepare for it. That's one reason I want to get the electronic drum, because music's going to change. We've got to prepare for it by faith. Years ago, we didn't have a drummer, and we put a drum up here. And all of a sudden, the Lewon family with Brad the drummer came to church. We've got to get back to that point of expectation. We have to prepare for the miracle. So they sat down in ranks, 150s, and when he had taken up the five loaves, two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave, them, gave it to the disciples to set before them, and, two fish, the, and the two fish he divided among them all, and so they ate and they were filled, and there were 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets, God always gives exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Didn't say that he multiplied, where did they get the baskets? Out of the boat, they would probably had fish in them. It didn't matter. Sometimes we just get locked into something. You Think about that. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 6. There are four accounts in the scriptures of this miracle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I like the two from Mark and John the best. Because when I was reading the first three... I got thinking, well, in Sunday school class where I grew up, they always taught about the little boy that had the five loaves and the fishes. And I couldn't find it till I got to John. It says, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which were performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountains and there sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Realize, I didn't realize this, I've been studying a lot this week. When this happened was right before the Passover. And this was the Passover a year prior To when he was crucified. So we're we're a year out. Okay. We're a year out on this. This was at the Passover time. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. Seeing the great multitude said to Philip. Where will we buy the bread that these may eat? And and he did this to test him. He was trying to get him out of the box. Trying to get him to think. And Philip gave him an answer. He'd been figuring in his head how much this was going to cost. But he'd never seen anything like this before. We'd never seen a flood in Nebraska like this was before. We were talking to a woman from Wisner. She's 87 years old. She says, I've seen floods come and go from Wisner. Never have I seen a flood like this. It flooded in places in Wisner. In in a sense, you can't prepare for that. All you have to do is just be ready to go. But in a sense, there's things we can do to prepare. The day friday after the flood all we did was get a dumpster get the tools lined up and tell people we were going to clean we organized for a miracle and the next day the miracle happened people showed up from all over you have to organize for the miracle see where was i Okay, verse 8. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. There's the story that I'd always heard. The amazing thing is all these what they? 5,000 men and women and children and only one kid had the sense to bring lunch with him, but it was a kid because he was always hungry. <laughs> so what, what we have to realize in times of revival... Music changes. Revival music is different than it changed in the 70s. Music, Church music changed in the 70s. I know that. The other thing is, God is always in endeavoring to reach the younger generation. And he, he works through them. This girl on the stage was maybe a year older than me. I think I was 14. She was probably 15. And what did the, the youth group sprang up, the Monroe Methodist youth group, we had 30, 40 kids a night. And all we did was study the Bible and pray and go to other services. And they were Catholic kids, Lutheran kids, Methodist kids. Just it was just a sovereign work of God. But it always involves the younger generation. So I know one thing we got. I know a few things. We got to prepare for the music, music. Is important. Music will change with the revival, with when God moves. But we got to step it up big time with our ministry to the younger generations. That we need to prepare. And he said, "Oh, what are we going to do? We'll step it out. You know, we'll step it out." But I'm telling you, I'm just giving you a forewarning. We're going to step it up in the next year in that area. So, so pull up your socks, strap up your boots. And get ready. So we have to prepare for the miracle. God's going to bring the children. God's going to do a work in the younger generations. I am not worried about the millennials. The millennials will get it. The millennials will get it. The ones you have to be concerned about are the the old farts that never want to change. Okay? So... These, these are things I know. These are things I perceive. And from here, I'm almost done. We'll finish it up. Preparation always starts in the heart. Preparation is just not vain busyness. Sometimes preparation is sitting still and shutting up long enough that you can hear from God. It will take prayer. Even in these meetings in Omaha, they talked about we haven't made the break, the final, the big breakthrough yet. There's still a lot of things that have to be birthed in prayer. Prayer is vital. Personal prayer, corporate prayer. And sometimes, they, oh my God, I got so much to do. I understand. We've had a family. We've raised family. We've got kids. Things are going on. Kids need to be involved. I get it. But the thing is, at the time of harvest, there's great joy. You know, on Facebook, I have um, Nebraska Through the Lands, and I've just totally enjoyed the last month. The People are just putting on pictures of the harvest, and there's joy when the harvest comes in. It isn't hard. It isn't laborious. It's joy. But we've got to realize it's going to be different. It's never exactly the same. God always does new things. And he's going to do a new thing. He's going to do it differently. We have to be able to. This is a big adjustment we, we need to make. We've fallen into a time, I believe, where we expect God to work around our plans. We've got to come to a point where we start to work around God's plans. We've got to go make sure we're, we're lined up with God. It's preparation. Preparation. We need to plan and prepare our lives around what God's doing and doing it his way. These are the things that I I perceive. Music will be different. The younger generation is going to be reached. God loves children. Go through the gospels. Jesus loved children. With that in mind, we have to begin to prepare to step up in ministry big time. It starts with our hearts. We have to be more disciplined in our self-management, our times, our attitudes, our health, our time with God. Like I said, you've got to feed yourself. Make sure you get fed. An important thing is is you have to give attention to what is vital. All of us have so many things going on and so many distractions, and I realize we are coming into the holiday season. Focus on what is vital. No is an anointed word. No to the flesh, no to the distractions. Manage your heart, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it produce the results of your life. Always at a time of revival, there's repentance. Just keep clean. If there's something in your life that you need to repent, you know, I haven't committed adultery, but the thing I repent of is sometimes my faith isn't where it should be. Sometimes my heart isn't where it should be. Keep clean. Keep clean. The other thing is, it'll be a time of teamwork, unity. It'll not be a time of big shots. It'll be all of us. The, the thing about the flood that brought me, the, we just worked together. Everybody just did their part. No grumbling, no complaining. We just did it, and that's the way it needs to be. No big shot, just everybody Does their part. And then you wait expectantly. Expect waiting on God is anxiously expecting, preparing, and getting ready. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that this is a people that have hearts after you. This is a people that have a mind to work. Father God, turn our hearts in the way they should go. Father God, we repent for lethargy, apathy, resistance, any evil thing, distractions, Father God, turn our hearts to you. Get us in the place, the position to receive, because when we receive to you, we can give to others. Father God, I thank you. Now I pray, Father, that you bless this people exceedingly abundantly beyond all they can ask or think this week. Bless them. Bless them and stir their hearts. Father, I pray that you would stir their hearts like never before open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from you in Jesus name thank you you're dismissed go have a blessed week don't get so busy don't be such perfectionist that every just have some fun get refreshed and fill up eat <laughs>